Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 30-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen our faces on TV, you've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week we look at the October 28, 2011 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, small and mid-cap edition. But before we get into that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only, and that is not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, this is a hobby after work, so Mo and I during the week uh, do a lot of important analysis. We look at call transcripts, we have uh, conference calls with management teams and their competitors, and, uh, you know, gee, we, we don't do any of that here. And we spend more than 15 minutes on our analysis. Yeah, we do. But we don't do that here. And then, uh, thirdly, uh, our lawyers say that we need to remind you that um, our ideas here may not be in your best interest. And we may be uh, taking advantage of you in some way. I'm not sure how, that, how we would do that. But anyway, I need to warn you that we might be doing that. And then, finally, um, I've been heavily drinking. So I just want to... Not as heavily everyone... as last week, but... No, but... I'm trying to ease up a little bit this week. That's good. I don't know. That's so uh, uh, read all of our caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. And there's also best ideas there going back a number of years, and also bios and, uh, and photos, photos of us. And, and new, an... new photos to come. Yeah, at an earlier time. We're, that's right. we're working on the Photoshopped version uh, for you. So... Uh, I guess uh, that's all I have in the caveat department. Those um, are good caveats. We don't do a lot of analysis. You know what it kind of reminds me of? No. You know those guys in Central Park that do that play speed chess? Yeah. It's like speed analysis. Yeah, it is. Here's a company. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. It's like when you did your CFA There's exam. only so much time here on the show. That's true. You know, in fact, I, I'm late for being home right now. My wife, uh, who I love very much, by the way, um, is expecting me like a half hour ago. So I'm just going to say I got stuck in traffic and my uh, cell battery was dead. She's listening, though. Yeah, but she'll, and, that is, and that's absolutely true. Right. In fact, we're doing this in traffic. Uh, uh, yeah, we can't give away names here. Um, okay, so. Calumet. Uh, you want to just get right into it, or did you want to have Well, I can ask you a question. I did want to ask you a question. Yeah. No, let's do that, I guess. Who's not his real name? Right. was in the office a few minutes ago, and he was saying that this is the highest correlation, I think, ever. Well, definitely since 1985, but I don't know how, whether they were looking at correlations before that, in the S&P 500. So it's a tough stock picker's market. All the stocks go up or all the stocks go down. Yeah. Is that true in the Russell? Do you know that? Is it, is it the it same thing? It absolutely is true. In fact, uh -huh. um, if uh, we own a lot of small cap stocks, and the ones that are not in the Russell 2000 value sometimes act opposite of those that are in the Russell 2000 value on any given day. Cause it, it, well, I mean, if you're buying and selling ETFs, then, um, you know, whoever is putting those things together, they have to go out in unison and buy or sell a bunch of those things simultaneously to capture the, you know, the performance of the index. They don't buy the whole index. They buy as few as they need to in order to minimize the tracking error to the index, which could be, you know, we don't do ETFs here, but it could be a few hundred instead of a thousand, or it could be a hundred. I'm not really not sure, but 
that can drive um, all the stocks in the index in the same direction as people are moving in and out of that. And then we have stocks that, uh, you know, are terrific values. And when the, you know, Russell's going up, these things sort of go sideways or down. It's very uh, counterintuitive on any given day. So do you ever? You can't look at that. But do you ever take into that account when you're when you're trying to fi figure out a stock? Do you say, "Gee, this is maybe we'll be outside of that box, outside of that phenomenon"? You know, we do uh, very little uh, in the way of worrying about what's going in or out of the Russell. In part because every year, um, you know, it's a, it's an index that gets rebalanced every year, and it's done on a formula. And so every year, there's a lot of changes going on in the Russell 2000 value. And there are some people that play that. You know, they hear a stock's going into the Russell. Um, they buy it for the outperformance. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's announcements when stocks come out of the Russell. And so you don't know. And, you know, so we, we really don't, uh, we don't try to take advantage of that. But there are times when there are some, you know, trends for stocks going in and out, but we, we pay very little attention to that. Now, we, we, we threw a couple stocks in the garbage can that we decided we weren't going to do for the show, but you mentioned one of them that you owned. How, so how many, really? how many yeah. stocks do you own in, a, in an average portfolio? How many stocks can you stay on top of? Well, we have a team, and we own about 50 stocks. We're a little more on the concentrated side, and, uh, and yet we have a universe that's... Uh, over a thousand. Just every day when people do work, we capture that in a database. And so, you know, if listeners are doing work and they come up with a valuation on a stock, and right now the stock is, uh, you know, above that valuation, so they don't want to buy it, don't throw that work out. Put it in a file. Alphabetize it. That way, when you have a thousand of these things, next time the stock is at the price that you thought it was a good value, You've already done the work, and you can buy it. We end up every morning having a list of stocks ranked on expected return every day based on yesterday's close. A thousand. Uh, it's actually a, a, a little more than that now. Wow. But you said that the three names that we're going to look at often don't show up on the value lists. Well, they don't, uh, honestly. Because? Well, these names today, you know, this was an issue that had a, a bunch of uh, <clears throat> energy and some LPs and things like that. And as we've talked about on past shows, and as I know from listening to clients, you know, we do a small cap value product, but there's people who just simply want yield. Now, we don't do that personally, but, um, you know, if you have friends and family and their money market stuff is earning them uh, half of 1% and their 6 and 7 and 8% bonds from 20 years ago are now... Uh, reaching maturity, and they're trying to roll that into something, and there's no yield, that's what today's show is about. And we've talked about this in past shows. In some cases, you know, you'd love a stock that's going to return 20%, and, you know, generally in the shop, we're buying companies that we think can deliver 20% returns. But it's not in terms of cash returns right now. It's based on the improved value of the company, and then you realize it at some point in the future. But there's people that need the current yield to live. You know, like, uh, you know, people that... Uh, Invested their, with Bernie Madoff, for well, instance, and now they've lost everything, well, but they certainly, need to get a little yield. certainly they need yield. But, you know, all those people that all their lives saved up a little bit each month so they could retire and, you know, have enough to, to live and travel a little bit or whatever, they probably were dialing in 5 
5% yields because for 50 years, that's what you could earn at the bank, at the SNL. I mean, when I was a little kid, the bank had two signs. One said five and a quarter, and the other one said five and a half. And that was if you, I think, I don't know, bought a, a house from them or something. They gave you a little better deal on your on your funds. But that's what it was. And now it's, uh, for a lot of things, Half. zero. <laughs> Half a percent. Or zero. Yeah. So I think today's show is meant for those of you who, um, you know, need a little yield or you've got family members that need a little yield or – Listen, these uh, Occupy Wall Street guys, I understand, have half a million in the bank right now. You don't want to just sit that in cash. You want to earn a little yield on that. You could trot it right over to our offices. Yeah. We're close. Yeah, we can we can put that to work. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the stocks I want to talk about today are all about yield. And we're not really focused on total return. This is for the part of your portfolio just to give you a little spending money, you know. I, I, I hate to correct you before you say anything. Yeah, please do. But yeah, C becomes before D. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate to get these little ones wrong. So, there you go. You got them in right. the right order. Okay. Yeah, we're doing alphabetical this week, and I don't always get it perfect. C before D. Yeah, you know that's the rule. C right. before C D, D, not after, after E. Yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just get right into it. I don't have a lot to say. I'm kind of in a hurry this week. I don't know what your schedule is, Mo. How do you manage to slip over here? Uh, do you have family members that are know where you are right now, or how are you getting over? What, what's your deal? I'm an orphan, Val. I've orphan. never, I've never really don't have a family member. But it's the it's the perfect time on the show, though. But th- that's a whole nother show. So the listeners can become your family. That's sort of the that's way it nice. is. Huh. Yeah. So should I be charging you a hundred bucks for this session or anything I like knew that? No, come up with yeah. something like that. All right. Well, let's get into it. Maybe uh, maybe we'll all feel a little better after we get through a couple of names. Uh, first up this week, in alphabetical order, from the October 28, 2011, small and mid-cap edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, Calumet Specialty, ticker CLMT. Uh, this is from the petroleum producing industry which um, all the names this week are from, and the reason to do them is that this is an LP, limited partnership. And in this oil-producing industry, these LPs have been granted some benefits by, uh, you know, by law that um, their tax rate is, um, I think, pretty low or non-existent as long as they uh, pay out uh, 95% of the cash flow um, to their shareholders, and it's meant to be somewhat of a wasting asset. So none of these companies are really investing in capital spending to grow the business. They might be investing to maintain the business, maintain the capabilities, etc. But the first one, Calumet, the first thing I'm attracted to is simply the yield. Amazingly, it says 11.1%. So that gets my attention, Mo. At, at what yield level do you go from being attractive to being scared? Well, you're certainly into the scared zone at 11.1%. Okay. So what does that tell me? That somebody thinks this thing's about to cut the dividend or 
even worse. I hate to think what the scenario could be. And yet, you just did an analysis, which I thought was interesting. You took the depreciation minus the CapEx. Well, <clears throat> first thing you want to do on these dividend stocks is determine whether they can continue to pay the dividend. And, of course, since the board can pay it or not pay it at their whim, this is called uh, bullshit analysis because I can see if they can pay it, but I don't know about their intent to pay it. Well, and I shouldn't say bad words on the air and all that. But <coughs> it's not like determining if their market share is growing or something like that. Right, it's so more, is the board going to keep paying the dividend? But you did I don't a, know. But you did an analysis that was different from simply looking at the cash flow per share versus the dividend per share because that theoretically would show you the way maybe value line calculates yeah. their payout ratio. You did something totally different. Well, I did, I did something a little different, but it's not... Uh, it's not rocket science, you know, basically cash flow is going to be income, and then you add those non-cash charges that reduced income because they were expenses, but didn't actually reduce cash flow because they're non-cash charges. Well, what would those be? Well, things like write-offs. So you see an asset that you paid a million dollars for, but you now realize it's just a piece of crap. So you say, your accountant comes and says, that's not worth a million dollars. Who spent a million dollars on that piece of crap? And you have to say, uh, my CFO. And you point over to the other guy. And, uh, and then you, your accountant makes you write that down from a million to zero. And that million dollars of loss, if you will, has to flow through the income statement. And so it reduces your income, even though it's not reducing your cash flow. The other thing that does that is depreciation, where... I bought an asset for a million dollars. I'm using 10% of it a year. So on my expense uh, report, I'm writing off 100000 per year as an expense, even though I spent the money already years ago. So that's a non-cash charge. And then you've also got uses for cash that don't end up uh, as expenses, but they're actually using cash. And the main one is, um, CapEx. is capital spending. Now, there are... Uh, cash flows that go into receivables and inventories, and you got to check that, and then cash flow comes out of payables and other uh, short-term liabilities. But in this case, if I look at their current assets and their current liabilities, you know, they're pretty covered there, and you see that little sheet here on the value line. So they got about $100 million in excess current assets that presumably are a little bit liquid if they run into any short-term needs. But the um, the thing I did, Mo, was um, I simply looked at the earnings, which here are shown as uh, 46 cents in 2010, an estimate of 73 cents in 2011, and I compared it to the dividend of $1.84, which is what I need to get my 11% yield. And, of course, they uh, look like they're going to make yeah, it based on you earnings. Know, I'm like, huh, those earnings look smaller than the dividend, so that's a problem. So now I need to think about, well, where's, the, where's my cash flow coming from? And I simply looked at the depreciation, which Value Line gives you a $64 million. And, uh, and then I looked at the capital spending, which is $0.99 cents per share. That's what Value Line gives you times 35. Call that, uh, you know, $34 million. Capital spending of $34 million, depreciation of $64 million. I have $30 million in excess um, cash flow that's not in my expenses divided by shares of 35 so let's just call that you know 90 cents 
uh, a share. So from my 73 cent estimate in 2011, I add 90 cents. That gets me a buck 60, and the dividend is a buck 84. So even with that little uh, cushion in the depreciation, it still seems as if they don't have enough money to cover the dividend. So at that point, I might say, you know what, this dividend's going to get chopped. I'm not that interested. However, Mo, uh, you know, Value Line puts up this little quarterly dividend chart. And what I notice is they've raised the dividend. Is they just raised the dividend. So last year the dividend was 45 and a half cents. It went to 46 cents in the fourth quarter, 47 cents in the first, 47 and a half in the second, 49 and a half in the third. So they're actually on a track to have a little higher dividend than the buck 83 a share they paid last year. And why are they doing that? I have to admit, Mo, I don't know. Well, here's I don't here, know. Here's something. <clears throat> Take a look at the uh, take a look at the earnings per share, and this is where this kind of a situation you really need to be able to, as I always say, kick the tires a little bit to to get some comfort level with that eleven percent yield. But you're looking at earnings this year that are probably still very depressed. These guys earned, you know, they've historically earned two dollars, two and a half dollars a share. They had a yeah. big event in two thousand ten. Yeah. Where earnings collapsed from a buck eighty-seven to forty-six cents. Yeah, they're on the way back this year with seventy-three cents. Well, sales which is fell six hundred million. Yep, and that's after rising eight hundred million in '08. Then they fell six hundred million in '09. So right. something worked its well, way. They probably through. lost a big account, or they lost, a, or they sold off a part of the business. But so I think what the board's probably saying is that that seventy-three cents of expected earnings this year is still a depressed number and you're going to see those earnings come back and they're making that dividend decision the board is making that dividend decision based on what they think they can earn in 2012 so in a way you could make the case hmm, good sign definitely a vote of confidence on the part of management and very possible case for being able to sustain that dividend well that's where i end up coming out is the board of directors is sending us a message by raising the dividend in the face of earnings that don't look like they're going to quite cover the dividend. They can almost get to it on cash flow, even in this depressed year, but the fact that they've raised the dividend, as you point out, Mo, it suggests that they know something that we don't. Right, which is that next year's next yeah. year's earnings and the next couple of quarters earnings are still going to be good. And of course, obviously the market doesn't either believe that story or doesn't fully know that story, but that's why it's an eleven percent eleven percent yield and our listeners now have at least enough information to go out and uh do a little more research and make a decision on their own. Well I'd also point out that the stock right now is at seventeen but a couple years ago, the high on this stock it was 45 or 44, 55, and that is on a sales per share that's a little lower than what they're putting up right now. And the operating margin back at that time was a couple hundred basis points higher than it is now. But that simply suggests that at those higher volumes, they're able to capture a bit more economies of scale and maybe that's what management knows is we're moving back to those higher volumes the margin will recover and then the earnings will recover enough to uh same thing the stock, and the stock's been telling you that too because the stock's been been acting very well for the last couple of years yeah 
Yeah, so. Uh, okay, Calumet Specialty, ticker CLMT. Like it. Next up, a stock that is very similar called Dorchester, ticker DMLP. And uh, like Calumet is in the petroleum producing industry, and Value Line's given a little description here. Uh, they engage in the acquisition, ownership, administration of producing and non-producing oil and natural gas, mineral royalty, uh, and leasehold interests, primarily in the United States. They own uh, properties in 574 counties. That's good to know. Um, and uh, what else? Let's see. They sell most of their natural gas to a particular company. And they have 20 employees, whereas Calumet had uh, 600 employees and 6% operating margins because and, uh, they're actually producing it. And attention, Occupy Wall Street people, on the corporate greed line, come down here and tell me what you think about this net profit margin. Well, you got to love a company that can consistently put up 67% net operating margin. Well, they do. Um, and the reason they do that is that their sales line is already, in effect, um, a profit line because it's, in effect, the rental that they get on the properties that they're leasing to other people. And those people are putting up, you know, big numbers on uh, selling, well, first finding energy, selling energy. They've got expenses related to the operations, the transportation, all those kinds of things. <clears throat> all these guys are doing is renting them. That land. So they get rent, and that's why their margins are so high, because all the operations is somewhere else, and all they're doing is making sure that uh, the shareholders get the check. And it doesn't take a lot of people, I guess, to go to the bank and then to write some checks. So they've got, um, you know, they've got the profit margin that Mo was mentioning. They're putting up an 86% operating margin. And the way to think about that is if if their royalty as a rental is 10% of the revenues of the company that's renting from them, then their 86% operating margin is really an 8%, 8.6% operating margin on the big number related to the total sales of the energy on the land. But when you make their rental payment the revenue, that's why you get these giant operating margins. It's just a matter of where in the stream you're taking um, your revenue, and they're taking it on the rent of that land, and then as a result, they're able to put up um, these giant profit margins, and it looks like their uh, income tax rate here is uh, zero, because again, it's just a pass-through to the LP. They've had a very consistent return on capital in the 20s and spiked to 40 one year. They have no debt and again, that's different than Calumet, which is putting up uh, uh, 400 million in debt, about four times EBITDA. Uh, Dorchester, no debt. They got a little bit of cash. Uh, stairs, shares have been pretty consistent. And then, you know, the reason to like this is not the valuation. It's 22 times earnings, and I'm not a huge fan of paying that much for a stock. But they've got a 6.6% yield. Um, it looks like uh, on the cash flow, it is sustainable. They're putting up a buck sixty-nine uh, dividend a share, a buck seventy-two in cash flow, 
Now, I'd like to see earnings higher than the dividend, and it looks like, just like we were talking on uh, Calumet, it's going to take a few years maybe before that happens, or clearly management here doesn't think it has to be um, earnings neutral with the dividend because they're quite willing to pay out all of the cash flow, uh, which is in most all years quite a bit higher than the uh, earnings. Well, let me ask you a question. I like, the, I like the dividend yield, but normally when we talk about dividend yield, there is some modest implied growth in the stock in addition to the dividend yield. If you look at this, this stock's been flatlining at about $22 a share since 2003. Yeah. So, in effect, your total return on this is probably going to be 6 or well, 7%. Well, that's the downside of some of these yield stocks is that when you think about total return as your dividend plus your uh, appreciation. appreciation in the stock, here, because it's basically existing properties, you know, you might get a little bit of improvement as rents improve, but that might just be offset by cost increases. So, uh, Mo, I think you're right. The total return here is apt to be, um, you know, it might be 10%, which would be 6.6% in the yield, and then, you know, you get 3 or 4% growth, which might just represent inflation, that kind of thing. So it's not a total return story. It's mainly... Uh, for those that need to do a little better than they're doing at the bank. And the only right thing I now. would I would also say is that uh unlike a lot of stocks where you've got a where the where the board is adamant about maintaining the dividend, you never want to cut the dividend if you're a classic company. With these energy LPs, the dividend is can be very dynamic and if you just look it was two eighty in uh, two thousand eight, yeah. then a dollar fifty, then a dollar sixty five. So um you know, you can't really assume it's going to be 6% or 6.6% yield and then some growth in the dividend because you might you might see a uh, a 10% cut in the dividend next year, and you know you're probably not going to get much in the way of stock price appreciation. Well, if energy prices collapse, um, clearly they only need to pay out their cash flow. And so, yeah, if cash flow would uh, decline precipitously, they, you could be in for some dividend cuts, although uh, over time <clears throat> uh, the dividend is really, um, you know, it, it's been at this level for a couple of years. It's been uh, in the past, it's been well higher than this for most of the last six or seven years. They cut it in 09 because of the uh, collapse in earnings per share from 230 a share to 72 cents. And now they've uh, they've raised it a little bit because we've had a little bit of a recovery in earnings. So it's going to move around with earnings, but earnings tend to be kind of stable, com certainly compared to most industrial firms these days. Um, and you get that little yield. So well, I'm going to give you the little yield, and you can you can have this baby. It's Thank a you. little. It's a little little. A little little for you. Okay. Finally, this week. Uh, Sunoco Logistics, ticker SXL. Um, and these guys are very similar to Dorchester. They're in the petroleum producing industry. These guys are involved in the transport, termination, and storage of refined products and crude oil, and they buy and sell crude oil. Uh, they also own, uh, it looks like, 2,500 miles of refined product pipelines in the Northeast and Midwest and Southwest. I'm just reading Value Line. And then their crude oil pipeline uh, system is 
5,400 miles of pipelines. And, you know, I like seeing pipelines because um, you have some sort of, you know, protected asset there. They're not exactly approving new pipelines all the time. And so if you have one, it's a bit like having a toll road through neighborhoods that hate roads, and you already have one. And so that's a nice uh, edge. And, in fact, their returns on uh, capital, they've been for the last five years in the teens. They didn't miss a beat in the whole recession here. Uh, the return on capital stayed right in the mid-teens. And their return on equity has been running in the mid to upper 20s and even sort of ticked into 30% here the last couple years. Um, and, again, I'm just attracted to the dividend yield here. It's 5.1%. The dividend, in this case, is well covered by earnings, earnings of 940 in 2010 with a 460 dividend. In 2011, they're estimating $6.36 a, a share, but still, um, you know, this dividend has actually been raised just a little bit here in 2011, so... Looks like they're on track to have even a little bit higher dividend, maybe 470. Still well covered by earnings, and um, and on an operating margin basis, you know these guys are in the low single digits, but in recent years they've moved into the mid single digits, and uh, and I guess the most important thing for me here is simply the sustainability of the dividend looks pretty sure, and. Uh, and even on an evaluation basis, it's a little more than I'd want to pay, but it's 12 times EBITDA. And so, you know, I might want to pay 10 times EBITDA, but it's not crazy on valuation. It's nine times earnings, just a little over half the market multiple, and you get your 5% uh, five yield. The only hair on this that I see, at least the way I look at things, is that the debt is a uh, billion five, which is four times EBITDA. Um, and that's not, you know, it's higher than I'd like. It's not in crazy land, but it's, uh, it's a little higher than I'd like. But on the other hand, it's probably appropriate for a company that can consistently turn out uh, these cash flows, and they've got that interest well covered. So, uh, so I like it. Sunoco Logistics, um, you know, Value Line has this rated 1, and I'm rarely in sync with them. But in this case, with a 9 multiple and a 5% dividend yield, it's looking pretty interesting, Mo. Well, here's a here's something that um, that uh, I don't know if it pertains to this particular stock, but it's uh, I think it's a could be a Mitt Romney stock because Mitt Romney is saying that if he gets elected, there's going to be no taxes on your investments, and that's would be great for a company like this. I bought a company that was a, uh, um, an LP, was an MLP, and I didn't know it because it traded just like a stock. Oh boy. Well, I made a couple hundred bucks on the stock, and I paid a couple thousand dollars in accounting fees. Ah, because that didn't work these out, are complicated. You see this? Look at the relative PE ratio. Half of the market. Yeah. For the last three years, why does a company with a five percent dividend yield trade at half the market? Because when you have to account, these are the, the the accounting for these things were, was insane. It was like the Accountants Full Employment Act was passed. Really, when they put these companies into the market, because it's the pass through of actual earnings. It's only a, a return of capital when you buy the stock. Right. And as a result, the yields are high. The PE ratios tend to be ridiculously low because when you buy these things. 
your accountant's going to have a feel. Your accountant will make more money doing the accounting than you may make on the yield. Really? So you probably have to give half the yield back to the accountant. So you need to. We need to figure out a way after accounting what an, a, an adjusted post-accounting yield might be. You might have had an expensive accountant, on the other hand, right? I might have, but I yeah. I look at this and these things scare me because I can never quite figure out what the accounting treatment is. I don't think it's a. I bought it at ten. I traded it at twenty. No, you're I right. It is. It is a return on capital, and that's one reason why you don't have tax. It's a return of your own capital. Right. The company doesn't have tax, but boy, fold that into your own taxes. And for you guys out there doing the short forms, <laughs> this is probably not even the sector you want to be looking at. Really? I'm not even sure how you do the accounting on these things. I just hand these things to my accountant. Well. And uh, then I have my wife write the checks. That's nice. So I don't even know what's going on with that. That's a good thing. But at any so rate. That's just, what I would recommend. Don't look at that. Just have your wife do it. But in your case, Mo, you think that's something to take into consideration, it sounds like. I would look at it. I think that's why the, I think that's why the P.E. ratio is so low. So uh, the last two well, guys. I, I would offer up that uh, I think one reason why the P.E. ratio is low is simply these are wasting assets. And, you know, they're not apt to really go beyond what they're doing now. They're not building out additional capacity uh, they have a toll on a pipeline that's got capacity, and once they reach that, you can't run any more stuff through the pipelines. Um, and so I think that part of it is simply that they're not apt to be able to expand. And when I take uh, 1 over 9, 9 PE, 1 over 9 is an 11% return, let's say net of tax, and 5 of that is in the dividend. So, you know, I might argue as a businessman that you're actually seeing here a potential 11% return, um, but five of that is the dividend, and the other six might just be growth with inflation. That's uh, because they will get that passed through. But your your theory, I think, is uh, solid. Well, solid. you you live a more complicated life than I do, so that that probably fits into your investment strategy. I like them simple, clean. The other negative I'd say here is these guys have, um, oh, and I did say this already, $40 a share in debt. Ooh. So I'm not, now that's the three times EBIT, or four times EBIT that I was mentioning, but whatever. You're going to wade into yeah. the X-rated the uh, X-rated investment pool, go back to Calumet, 11%, at least at least you're going to be paid to do some, uh, to do some well, research. Should we have favorites? Mo, this week? I, mean, I, I, I think i got to throw, go throw my weight behind uh, Calumet. I mean, at least if, if you're – they're all X-rated, so at least you're going to be paid to go to go uh, into this area. I think I'll agree with you, Calumet. Wow. Yeah. So, well, because if they cut the dividend, they're only going to cut it in half. And even if they do that, you're still at a 5.5% yield. Yep, right? and the stock's looking like it's making a nice recovery both from the earnings standpoint and from the stock price. That's telling you something. So you got a lot of these signals. The board's telling you something with increasing the dividends. So uh, yeah, that would be my be my all bet right. for the week. Well, great. We've got a favorite, and I guess that's all we have this week, uh, everybody. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for spending another half hour listening to the value guys. See uh, all of our caveats, information, past shows, etc. At www.thevalueguys.com. And thanks for listening in, everybody. Good night.